This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase to Must podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning Best Selling Taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards both in 2017 and 2018. So if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meets West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to a Wednesday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am joined by longtime friend of the podcast, Bleacher Reports, Sean Hyken. Sean, good evening. Are you re- well rested after a insane night in? Uh, the Rose Garden. I'm not going to call it the Moda Sitter or whatever else it's called now. Um, the Rose Garden is where Dame's assassination of the Oklahoma City Thunder took place. Yeah, I appreciate you calling it by its correct name. I I, I wouldn't say well rested, but you know I'm I'm good. I'm recovering. That was certainly probably the most eventful game I've ever covered in person. I'm recovering too, but for a different reason. I finished Dexter season four the other day. I went back through the first four seasons because I haven't watched it in years. Trinity Killer, man. That season, it's a wild ride. John Lithgow, it was it was incredible. I, I loved it. I forgot about how insane those last two episodes are and just the chase and everything that comes with it. And that last just scene, it's, it's wild. It's a rush. I think I watched like the first two or three episodes of the first season of Dexter. And I, I don't think I ever really continued it after that. It was like 10 years ago, though. Yeah, in, it didn't feel that long ago, but I was looking at like when season four came out and it was actually like 11 years ago and that just was baffling me because I didn't watch it as it came on, but I knew after season four, the main person who ran it changed, uh, like they changed uh, positions, they left the show and then the show just went off uh, went off the deep end. So I never went past season four, but I remember loving those first four seasons. So I just decided to revisit it the other day and just blew through them and God, great show. But anyway, um, Damian Lillard has nothing to do with Dexter, although I'm sure there is some sort of sports radio metaphor that I could uh, come up with on the spot here. But I'm not going to do that. We're just going to dive into Damian Lillard um, deciding to just go off in an insane way. I was listening to one I, one show today, and they had the set of like, because everybody's talking about what Paul George said in his press conference about um, that was a bad shot, blah, blah, blah. But... For most people, sure, it's like 26%, 30-plus feet out um, in the NBA this year, uh, I believe was the stat I saw, and then it's like 39% for Dame from 30 to 50, which is 
<laughs> just insane. So it's a good Dame shot. Um, is I just I love that Dame is just like you know what if people aren't gonna treat me like Steph Curry, um, what if I just pulled up from thirty seven feet to win a basketball game? What if I do my best Steph Curry impersonation and um, it also kills Russell Westbrook in the process? Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I think it was Chris Herring that tweeted that he was, what, 12 for 18 on shots outside of uh, 37 feet or whatever from, yeah. from you know, dur- during the playoffs so far. I mean, that's just a shot that Dame can make. And it's basically two guys in the league, him and Steph Curry. And I mean, I think in a few years, Trey Young is going to probably get there, too, as a guy who you can just see as a threat to pull up and hit those shots if he's not there already. But uh, for Dame, like. I think Paul George was not wrong in what he said. Like, I don't like I, you know, obviously everybody was killing him because of just the optics of saying that and saying it was a bad shot after uh, they uh, after they lost the series and are eliminated. Like, I get I get why, you know, people were kind of jumping on Paul George for saying that. But yeah, I mean, what are your options there? If Dame has the ball, he's either going to drive to the basket or he's going to pull up and shoot that. If if you're Oklahoma City, you take your chances with him. you know, shooting that uh, 37 foot step back. And I mean, even if he shoots 35% on that shot, which is more than most people, that still means you have a 65% chance that he's going to miss it and you go to overtime. I would live with that for sure. If I was Paul Jordan, I mean, maybe he could have phrased it differently, but yeah, I mean, it was an incredible shot that Dame made and it was one that he makes more than most people do. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was pretty improbable. And I'll tell you the atmosphere in the building as it was like as as it left his hand everybody basically knew it was going in just because this is was sort of a repeat of what he did in 2014 against Houston where he hit that uh that which was a little bit of a different look cuz it was like a catch and shoot thing but it was just kind of the same you know a series that you know you can you can debate whether you know they going into the season or going into the series they were favored but then you know he basically wills them to that victory and it was just kind of the same thing that happened again yeah, and I mean, in my notes in the first quarter and stuff like that, it Dame obviously started off hot, especially towards the end of that first quarter, but um, CJ McCollum got in foul trouble, and it was just it was super shaky because Paul George was handed the keys, and it looked like, okay, Russell Westbrook has realized that they're going to have to live and die by Paul George in game in an elimination game. Like they have to finally, like he has to understand at this point that he's not hitting shots close to the rim, which um, is a huge problem. If he's not hitting shots close and he's not hitting threes, he's not doing his main stuff. It's like, he's just out of control and just doing dumb stuff. Um, especially at the end of the game with his shots at the rim. But um, it, it was, it was wild because I think ultimately we're going to remember dame's insane shot and some of the other shots that he was hitting if you have not seen some of the other looks i encourage you to go to blazersedge.com and kind of go back through some of the crazy stuff that he was uh pulling off cj mccollum is like the king of hitting weird off balance shots but dame hit some crazy ones in this game too but paul george got off to such a such a hot start and it was clearly like his night and he should have like just been the guy but Russell Westbrook still took over late. He got more shots than Paul George down the stretch. Paul had some bad turnovers and some boneheaded plays, but he still shot the ball exceptionally well, and he was still someone that they should have pushed, um, especially in crunch time. And Russell Westbrook still took over and made some dumb stuff, and you forget about what happened right before the Damian Lillard shot. I mean, I that's what my biggest takeaway is going to be, is that like this was a, an amazing Paul George performance, and... We're going to remember his comments about Dame and Dame hitting that shot and not Westbrook doing a bunch of dumb Westbrook things and Paul George not 
being handed the keys, especially when they're in an elimination game on the road. Oh, I think people are going to remember the rust stuff. We're already kind of starting to see the tide turn, at least in the you know social media you know, echo chamber where, you know, now people are kind of starting to act like because Russ, you know, had a bad series and, you know, maybe this is closer to the player he is now that now, like he was always overrated the whole time, which I don't know. Right. No, of course it's not. I was, I was, I'm like you, I kind of thought that I was, I was, I was impressed by what Paul George was able to do last night Mm -hmm. because I mean, what, one of the, one of the subplots and I mean, he were talking about it at the beginning of the series, but one of the things that has been kind of lurking under the surface during this whole series is that, Paul George's shoulder is clearly more messed up than they were letting on the whole time. Like every every time he did a media availability during this whole series, he would have this giant wrap of ice uh, on his shoulder. And during these games, he would have more of that black, you know, kinesio tape on his shoulders than I've ever seen somebody wear during a game. And it was it was pretty clear, especially with the way he shot in a couple of those games. You know, he shot really well in game two, and then he was pretty good last night. But the other three games he was shooting like five for 20 from the field or, or, you know, three for 17 or stuff like that. Like the shot clearly wasn't there. And he also just wasn't able to move his arms. And so he couldn't even be as effective as he usually is on the defensive end, you know, to the beginning of the season when he were talking about him as like an MVP or defensive player of the year candidate, I would not be at all surprised in the next couple of weeks or so. If it comes out that whether it's a labrum or a rotator cuff or something I would not be surprised if he's going to end up needing surgery on that shoulder because I think it's pretty clearly in worse condition than they were maybe letting on during the series. And yet he still saved his best for last. So if that is the case, he went out in ridiculous fashion. Um, Good good for him. Like he needed that good performance, but I just feel bad that he wasn't, um, he didn't get his moment, especially down the stretch that Westbrook kind of superseded him and took control. And um, I don't know. It's, it's sad uh, to see the Thunder team uh, whittle the way they did. Um, but this goes back to something I was thinking about with this Portland team. There's not a lot of difference. I mean, we know what Damon Nurkic have done as a pick and uh, roll combination where I think they're in like the top five of, hey, they might be number one. Are they the most assisted baskets to like a combination in the NBA this year? I think um, Lillard and Nurkic are, I forgot who I heard that from. I think it was Haberstro a few weeks ago where like it, it if it's not number one, it's number two, because I think James Harden and Clint Capella are right there as well. But it's one, two, one. Uh, I'm not sure about the order off the top of my head, but um, that just had this great look. And then we were all like, oh, uh, no Nurkic, Dame and Nurkic are great. CJ McCollum's a little banged up. Are they going to just get swept out of the first round again and they get a bad matchup against uh, Oklahoma City? And they just, Dame goes to another level. But what have you seen out of this Portland team this year, especially in the postseason, that's different than what they uh, went through last year and uh, the team that got swept by the Anthony Davis Pelicans? This was just, I mean, I think if there's one thing I was going to point to, I was i was surprised that this series went the way it did. I think I would have probably picked Portland to win this series if Nurkic was healthy. But without him, I just figured, you know, Oklahoma City is going to be able to play Ennis Cantor off the floor. They're just going to attack him in pick and rolls. And I just and I just didn't know didn't know how they were going to be able to uh, overcome that kind of disadvantage. But they were able to. Cantor was great in this series, which I don't think anybody really saw coming. I think this series just kind of proves there's a lot to be said for continuity and just you know if you have a group that you like just kind of 
you know, believing in it and not just pulling the plug on it as soon as, because you know, there, there, there's been this, this whole thing of, you know, after the Blazers got swept uh, last year in the first round by the Pelicans, which everybody in the Blazers organization still feels like they shouldn't have gotten swept in that series. And they, they even feel like maybe they could have won that series. You know, they think they were the more talented team, obviously the way that drew holiday and some other guys defended Dame was incredible, but they feel like they shouldn't have lost that series. And so there was a school of thoughts that was, you know, there were definitely some, you know, national media members and also, you know, a good percentage of the fan base that was basically saying, oh, well, this team is never going to be more than, you know, a first round exit who maybe is a three or four seed in the in, in the West, but doesn't really do anything. They just need to trade CJ. They need to just completely blow it up and start over. And the Blazers, Neil Olshay, the Blazers basically said, you know, no, we believe in this group. We caught some bad breaks this year. We're just going to run it back. And we're kind of seeing that pay off this time because, you know, all these other teams have these new pieces that they've been trying to integrate and, you know, all this uncertainty about what everybody's role is with the Portland team. Everybody on the team knows what their role is. They know who they are. Nobody plays outside of themselves. They're well coached. They have a coach that's been there as long as Dame has. And the other thing is, I mean, a lot is said about, you know, who Dame is as a leader and all that kind of stuff. But Dame truly is the kind of guy that guys want to play with. And he is a guy who like organizes whole team workouts in the off season and, you know, treats, you know, the 15th guy on the roster the same way he treats, you know, one of the starters, all, just all this kind of stuff. It's just the culture that he has set. And I think he gets as much credit for, as anybody for just what the Blazers have and this continuity that they have. I think that's really what led to, you know, this happening, to, you know, besides, you know, what you can say about, you know, what some of the matchups were on paper that maybe wouldn't have been favorable to them in the series against Oklahoma City. What happens, though, and this is another thing I was thinking about, like, what happens if, maybe they don't get swept, but the the situation is reversed where they go down 4-1 in this series, and they um, just kind of, they get kind of buried by Paul George and Westbrook, and um, Lillard just kind of goes through what he went through last year in the postseason, um, and just this team goes down again like that. It, do we see serious changes, or is this like, do is this one of those um, subtle things that... Um, it might be a huge deal with how Neil O'Shea in this group, like does Terry Stotts come back if they lose the series? Like Billy Donovan should be safe, but um, what happens if they go down four one and they lose, like most people expect them to lose to a pretty good Thunder team. What, what happens this summer in your estimation? Well, this thing is there's just so much stuff up in the air with the Blazers as an organization right now, because we still don't know what the whole ownership situation right. is going to be. Cause if you remember, Jody, you know, he wasn't married. He didn't have any kids. And so his sister Jody is kind of controlling his estate and all of his assets right now. And I have gotten the sense that I don't think she really is interested in long term being the owner of a sports team. And so I think eventually both the Blazers and the Seahawks are going to get sold. But there's, it's going to take a couple of years probably for all of that stuff to get worked out legally when you have a guy with a estate as big as, you know, somebody like Paul Allen is one of the richest men in the world. It's going to take a while for all that stuff to, you know, for lawyers to vet everything and make sure kind of what, you know, everything is in its right place before they can actually think about putting the team on the market. So I don't think there's really, I, I, I don't see any kind of, you know, huge changes happening. I mean, certainly that's not going to be the case now. I think you know, the fact that they won this playoff series, everybody's kind of going to going to come back. I, you know, Stotts is going to be back. Uh, I, I would be shocked if, you know, the majority of this group 
isn't back, maybe they bring in, you know, a couple of fringe, you know, free agents or two, just kind of as far as role players, you know, at, at the mid level or whatever. But I, I mean, I think, I think if they had gotten swept again, we might've started to see some big changes, but the fact that the ownership situation is up in the air is it is kind of complicates that because, you know, if you're, if you're, let's say you fire Terry Stotts, a, who's a better coach that you're going to get than Terry Stotts. Cause I think he's one of the best coaches in the NBA and one of the most well-respected guys, but B if you're a coach on the market, you know, you're one of these, and I know there are only 30 of these jobs in the league. Are you going to take a job where the ownership situation is up in the air? You don't know if the GM is going to be back. You don't know which of these players are going to be back. Uh, you know, it, it, it would, it would maybe have not been a great environment. So I think they probably would have, no matter what, just kind of been in this holding pattern until the ownership situation got figured out. But now that, you know, they won this series and I think they have, I don't want to say they're favored but at least a reasonable chance of beating whether it's you know denver or san antonio and getting to the western finals assuming you know know, just considering how the playoffs have gone already and how they bounced back from this uh you know the the first round sweep last year against new orleans it's pretty safe to say the team that comes back next year is probably going to look pretty similar to this team yeah that's a good point and we've seen that before where teams like we just saw that with the pelicans um with gail benson over the last year and a half with the Anthony Davis stuff. And now we have David Griffin coming in. Anthony Davis might stay. And there's just, it seems like the ownership stuff has kind of settled down and they have a direction now. They have a competent front office now. We'll see what happens. But you're right that the ownership stuff is just like the looming thing with this group and this team, and this organization. So it's it's good that they're going this um, direction and that they're getting this feel-good moment this year. Um do you think, though, is it a recency bias thing, or do you think Damian Lillard is actually better this year than he was last year, and that he's actually gone up another level? Or is it just, we've enjoyed this moment, he had a great playoff series, um, or is this more of what you've always seen from Dame, or at least what you've seen from him in his prime? Well, I mean, he, the thing is, he's just so consistent that it's pretty easy to take him for granted, because like, I don't, I don't think there's been a single year-to-year leap with Dame where, you know, one year he's pretty good. And then the next year, oh, he's like a borderline, you know, fringe down ballot MVP guy. He has just gotten kind of gotten steadily better and better and better every year from like in such an incremental way that it's almost easy to overlook it because there wasn't that single year. You know, if you look at, you know, one of these other guards, if you look at just how much better Victor Oladipo got from the year before last to last year, where it's like, you know, he's, you know, he's, people think, oh, you know, he's a pretty good player. He's got some potential. And then suddenly he's this all-star, you know, all in borderline, all NBA type of guy. There has never been that single year leap with Dame. It's just been consistent progression where, you know, now he's kind of at, at the point where, you know, I think other than Steph Curry, I'd take him other over any other point guard in the league at this point. Oh, um, and I mean, Harden, I would take over. We have to. Well, are we, count, are, we, are we counting? Are we counting? Well, yeah, we, we have to. He's well, a lead guard. Well, if yeah. we're counting, if we're counting Harden as a point guard, then I would take Harden too. But uh, yeah, is that it? This is crazy. I didn't even really consider this, but like, um, Markel Fultz. No, um, that's tough. I kind of want to think about this real quick. The I mean, it's not Kyrie. I mean, well, it's the, not the, the Kyrie thing. If you want to just talk about pure talent, I think the Ky- I think it's close no, with I would, Kyrie. I'd rather have Lillard. But when you I, but when you well when you factor in the injury history, which which you know Kyrie has a pretty extensive injury history, and you know Dame has been pretty durable. I don't think he's missed more than like five or six. I'd have to look it up, but like he has not missed a significant amount of games in any season in his career. And then there's also just the other you know with Kyrie, just how moody he can be at times, and you know he says a bunch of weird stuff and it rubs people the wrong way. There's none of that with Dame outside of outside of Steph, and if we're counting Harden a point guard than Harden you know I think it's Dame I would agree so how would you do your all NBA first team would you do I mean would would it still be Steph 
Harden, or would you actually sneak Dame in there? I think it probably would still be Curry Harden. You 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 just you just have to account for you know Steph Curry being basically the single most impactful player in the NBA in terms of the way he just completely changes his team, and they've you know they've been the best team in the in the league for five years. Right? I. I I, I could justify lead. I mean, last year I was fine with Dame making f- first team all NBA over Steph because the, because Steph just missed so many games that if you, you know, you wanted to use that as a tiebreaker, but all things being equal, you know, I would, I would still have Steph. Yeah, that's fair. Um, oh, there's still a couple other things I wanted to touch on with this. Okay. See stuff, because I'm like, we talked about the off season with Portland and the ownership stuff, but what do you do if you're Oklahoma City? Like these are you've already invested in all of these guys. You've invested in PG. You've invested in Westbrook. You've invested in Stephen Adams. You've invested in Jeremy Grant. Um, their biggest thing is getting Andre Robertson back, and I don't think that's the reason they lost the series is not having Robertson. Like they still, I mean, Terrence Ferguson upgrading that spot's going to be huge, but they don't have a lot of money to do that. Like I don't, I don't know what they need for them. I think Dennis Schroeder was really good for them this year. Like that was a good third guard guy to have. Um, but their offense isn't good enough. They were 17th in the league this year in offensive rating. Their defense is solid. We know they're going to be great defensively for the next couple of years. Um, I I just I don't know who that answer is because I don't think Andre Robertson is going to be the guy who gets you down to the top 10 in uh, offensive rating. Something tells me it's not going to be him. It, it wasn't P-Pat who people have been waiting on to get healthy for like three years. Their best shooter just left. Um, I don't remember what the the story behind that was, but Abrinas just dipping midseason was very. Strange. He had so, he had some personal family thing. I don't really know the details, but oh, it was some. It was there was some dipped. That was weird. Well, he had yeah. some. I mean, he had some family thing going on in Spain. For sure. I, think. And I don't. I don't know. I don't know what the. I don't know what the specifics of that are. But I think. But it they was, needed him. That's the point. It's like guys like him who can just shoot, and they can re- like they just need those sparks because they just don't have enough shooting most of the time with their lineups, and losing someone like Abrinas just really hurts. And. I don't, is there anyone that makes sense to you? Cause I mean, I saw, I was reading this real GM piece. I think it was by Keith Smith today, like outlining just how many free agents there are going to be this summer. It's unbelievable. It's like 45% of the league is a free agent. Um, I, I just, I don't know who that right piece is to kind of fix this because I think they're locked into so many guys that it's, it's gotta be a wing, but I think it's gotta be like a wing who can do a lot of different stuff, who keeps the ball moving, who just, I, I don't know who that is. Like who's available. Is there anyone that comes to mind for you? I don't have a list of free agents uh, in front of me, at, at least in the price range that they're going to be able to afford, because I just don't know what room they're going to have to do. They're going to have one of the highest payrolls in the league. You know, they're locked right. into, they're locked in with Russ. They're locked in with Paul George. They're locked in with Steven Adams. I guess Steven Adams is the one guy that you might, look at and say, you know, he probably has some value around the league. If we want to put, you know, move him and try to get some kind of wing depth in or some more shooting, that might be the one guy I would look at. But even then, you know, Sam Presti has has historically been so methodical with how he builds his, his team. And he just kind of sticks with stuff. and doesn't just bail on something the first time that it doesn't work that I don't really see. They're kind of in the same spot that the Blazers were in last year where we're talking about, okay, this team is pretty good. They're not good enough to contend. But we're just tied up in so many guys in terms of money. What can we really do? And I think they just kind of have to hope that you know the culture that they have uh, can prevail in the same way that it has in Portland, where you know they can say you know. You know, let's say Paul. 
gets whatever he needs to get dealt with with his shoulder dealt with over the offseason. Because I think if he was even 90% of what he was the first half of the season, this is a, probably a pretty different series. But, you know, if you have him healthy, the, the Russ thing is such a is such a long-term question mark to me in terms of what's he going to look like uh, as he ages. He's already, you know, 31, 32. So you're already kind of looking at the tail end of his prime. And I'm just so interested to see what the rest of his prime looks like because, you know, you can think of, you know, some guys who were, you know, freak athlete, you know, explosive guys at the beginning of their career. You look at a guy like Vince Carter, who, as he kind of lost that aspect of his game, he was able to reinvent himself and retool and develop a reliable outside shot and have a good end of his career. And Grant Hill was kind of able to do the same thing. And then on the other side of the spectrum, Allen Iverson is a guy who, as soon as the explosiveness left, he was basically just off a cliff overnight. And I'm worried that Russ might be more in that direction than the more sustainable direction. But I'm really interested to see if, you know, maybe the, maybe this playoff series is kind of the thing that finally makes him decide, okay, I can't keep playing the way I've been playing my whole career. I need to change some things up. That's going to be kind of interesting to take a look at over the next couple of years. I have my doubts. I don't think that makes sense with his personality at all. And I feel like when people get older, they become more stubborn and more um, just the, they, they just, I don't think Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson, Russell Westbrook is going to age gracefully. I think he's going to be very stubborn about um, the diminishment of his uh, athletic prowess. Um, Here are the names that I think just going through the 2019 free agent list that I think is most realistic and actually be a good fit. And you can tell me if I'm, I'm crazy here. Okay. Garrett Temple. Sure. I think he starts in this team. Um, Danny Green. He might be 33. too expensive. He might be too expensive. He might. Yeah. Um, Boyan Bogdanovich. Also might be too expensive. Really? Yeah. Uh, okay. That's wild. Terrence Ross. Yeah. I feel like people like the idea of Terrence Ross more than the actual player Terrence Ross uh but I mean I guess you know if you're looking at their price range what it is yeah they don't have a lot these are the guys that like they could maybe talk into taking significantly less and kind of just joining a contender um my favorite one that I think if I was in his position because he's made a lot of money in his career at this point is um like he's gonna be 33 can you guess who I'm thinking of right here he's gonna be 33 Trevor Reza no I, I don't think no um no, not Trevor Reza. He averaged, let's see, 13. I'm, he career lows, or not career lows, but like the last, it's low for his last couple of years. 13, 5, and 3. Who is it? Goran Dragic. Yeah, he might I be. I would love him in he's gonna, City. He's going to want too much money, I think. But like, he's 34. He'll be 34 this upcoming season. He's falling off a cliff in Miami. That team's going nowhere. Like he's kind of never been on a contender. He's never really had his moment in the sun. And he's been really good for a really long time, especially like two years ago. Um, I, I would love to see him on OKC. Like, I think he's like the perfect kind of guy who can do stuff on the ball who can help keep the ball moving who can break up stuff with paul george and westbrook and is he a free agent or does he have a player option uh green what is green on Spotrek? um green player option yeah he's not going to turn down what does <laughs> he make like 18 19 million or something i would oh God. yeah he's not turning to... yeah i don't know that dude's gonna be like 35 and then it's just too late for him to get on the contender with his skills i don't know i've always loved goran Dragic, and i would like for him to play on a good team at some point in his career 
Yeah, but that'll yeah. be it. The, this will be the last year he's making eighteen million. Yeah, I don't think he's turning that down. Son Whiteside also making twenty five million dollars a year on that team. James, I don't Johnson, think 14. I don't think he's turning down. I don't think either of those guys are turning down their player options somehow. Three more years of Dion Waiters. Yeah, making eleven million. Yeah, Leo Linick twelve. God, that cap sheet is just insane. It's not in great. Miami. No. Um, so let's transition a little bit here. San Antonio and Denver. This is a series that uh, I think none of us have a handle on. Um, I'm a gigantic Derek White stan. I predicted two and a half months ago on this podcast, San Antonio, if they found themselves... Check the receipts, folks. If uh, they found themselves in a first-round series against Denver, they're going to beat Denver. They just that has all the makings of a Greg Popovich just doing pulling shit out of his ass. And this team is really good at a lot of different stuff. Like they're the best three-point shooting team in the league. They the only guys who take threes are the ones who can make them. Davis Bertans, all those dudes like Bryn Forbes, Derek White. Like they only have guys who can actually shoot threes. Marco Bellinelli. Like those are the ones who take them. And then Demar Derozan's and Aldridge and everybody else. They don't take them. And it. It's been good because they've also been one of the best mid-range shooting teams, but they've also been one of the best teams at hitting shots at the rim. This series um, has come down to them missing a lot of shots at the rim. They shot horribly in uh, game four, um, uh, game five, excuse me. And that was part of the reason they lost. I mean, if you just look at the what they missed at the rim and their three-point percentage versus the Nuggets, it was just Jamar, Jamal Murray went off. Derek White had a quiet night. Tamar DeRozan didn't have a good game, and that was it. Patty Mills didn't shoot well. All those dudes that they need to shoot well and hit stuff at the rim. Like even LaMarcus Aldridge missed a bunny inside that Patty Mills found him on. And it just, they'd never missed those all season long. And like they had to get creative to make this offense work. But this has been a better offensive Spurs team than defensive this year. And that's pretty rare. But a lot of it's because DeJounte Murray is not there. So they've had to figure stuff out without him. And um, it's been a struggle. So the Nuggets have lit them up i um i don't know but i i just i still believe in the spurs team and i think they're gonna shoot really well in game six and i think we're getting at least a game seven and i'm i'm not backing off my corner that the spurs are winning the series this one is a total coin flip to me i i mean you just you've just seen i mean i, I all the points that you just made about how reliable the spurs are and you know everybody knows their roles and all that kind of stuff i think and, and you know i've been thinking about this a little bit in terms of the uh you know, now now that Portland is into the second round and they're going to play the winner of this series, I've been thinking about who they match up better against. And I mean, I think Denver is the more talented of the two teams, but I had kind of felt like, you know, San Antonio maybe poses more matchup problems for Portland than Denver does. So, But I'm still kind of working through how I feel about that and, uh, and you know, which one I think they would rather face. But yeah, this 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 series has been a total toss up to me in terms of, you know, they, they have the the Nuggets have shooters that can get hot. You know, you saw what Jamal Murray did in game two and then you saw what Tory Craig was able to do in game three when they put him in the start was it three or four, whatever game it was. They put him in the starting lineup. Uh, you know, this, this whole there, there were many different times during the series that, you know, San Antonio got up uh and I just kind of was like, okay, this is a wrap. Like the Denver's just done. They're not ready. They don't have the playoff experience. They're not going to be able to kind of make up that gap. And then they've been able to battle back and make adjustments. So I think this series is going to be really interesting no matter who wins it. Yeah. Um, I just love that Derek White is having his come out party and that we're going to get Derek White um, coming into his own with this, uh, with DeJounte Murray coming back next year and DeMar DeRozan and... Um, LaMarcus Aldridge being able to uh, keep this thing 
uh, afloat and keep it moving even after Greg Popovich moves on. Um, but something I was thinking about too with this group of like their upside is that, and this goes back to Portland a little bit, is that like part of what we're looking at at Portland of what how far they can go in the playoffs is like what CJ McCollum becomes. And like the whole thing last year was like, can this team where you have two guards like Dame and CJ ever put together a good enough defense to um, have been a meaningful postseason run? And they were top 10 in defensive uh, efficiency last year and they showed that they could do it. Um, Denver's in a similar situation where you're like, are you sure you can build a great defense around Jamal Murray and Gary Harris? And I go back and forth on this, but they kind of remind me a lot of each other where it's like, if CJ McCollum becomes a top 15 player, then the Blazers upside is significantly different. Um, If Gary Harris turns into the guy that was outlined in that Chris Herring piece on 538 a year ago, where it's like, could he be the next Kawhi Leonard? Well, guess what? Having Gary Harris become a star with Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. Yeah. They might be able to win the, win the West at the bare minimum. But, um, I think both of those teams' um, ceiling is tied to not Dame Lillard, Jamal Murray, or Jokic. It's uh, Gary Harris and TJ McCollum. Is that a fair comparison? Yeah, I mean, you always have to get you know that that leap from from the supporting players. And the thing that people always kind of forget is that development isn't linear. You know, a guy like Jamal Murray has a great rookie season. They, you know, it's really easy to just assume, oh, he was good. He, you know, he averaged this and this his rookie year. Now he's going to average, you know, five more points and three more assists uh, his second year. It, it usually isn't like that. There's usually still an adjustment period in terms of, you know, guys have to, uh, you know, get used to now what their expectations are now that there may be more of a known quantity in the NBA. But yeah, I mean, having the supporting cast and the depth that, you know, we kind of the, the stars, you know, the, the the number one guys on the team, we kind of know what those guys are. But, you know, it, it, it's all about, you know, what they get in terms of development from, the, you know, the secondary guys. And, and even even if you go past like the Gary Harris tier of guys on Denver, you know, you've seen, you know, how good Monty Morris has been a guy who barely played last year in his rookie season. And then, you know, what he was able to do in his uh, second year, you know, he became a pretty reliable backup point guard. And then you look at, uh, you know, a guy like Malik Beasley, who at times has looked pretty good. And then, you know, what Tory Craig was able to do the other night when he was moved into the starting lineup, you know, they're just kind of getting a lot of these guys they are having a lot of things break right for them. Yeah. So it, it should be fun. I'm excited to see how this series unfolds either way. Um, Toronto, my team that I've said for nine months is going to win the NBA finals. Um, they won four straight and that doesn't happen in Toronto. They've been to the playoffs year after year. Uh, but it's been a struggle and people were back to like same old Toronto after losing that game one to the magic off that great buzzer beater by DJ Augustine. No, the Raptors went through Kawhi went like five for five from deep. They buried him. Kyle Lowry got better. Like the quotes after the game where it's like, you can tell there's something different with the way Nick nurse is coaching this team versus Dwayne Casey, who I both think are good coaches, but like part of what Dwayne Casey does on offense, when you listen to quotes and how players describe his uh, coaching style is that like and Blake Griffin I think was talking about this a couple months ago is it's just kind of read and react and that he let he wants his players to make decisions on their own and Nick Nurse is like doing the different kind of stuff where he's scheming stuff and they're just figuring out okay this is how we beat the magic and this is how we're going to do it you're going to do this Kyle Lowry you're going to do that and uh, they buried them and the next three were just uh, a bloodbath and the Raptors are just a different team than they were the last couple of years with DeRozan um I don't know. Are are you any more in on the Raptors coming out of the East, Sean? I mean, I think it's certainly possible, and I I definitely 
have them over full second. How much of the difference is, you know, Nick Nurse versus Dwayne Casey in terms of coaching styles and how much of it is they have Kawhi Leonard now and they didn't have Kawhi Leonard last year. And then, I mean, they, they it, it's a very different roster. I mean, I, I get, you know, obviously after they lose that game to Orlando in the first game of the series, you, you kind of think, oh, God, same old Toronto. But it's such a different team, not just Kawhi Leonard, but Danny Green has been great for them. Mark yep. Gasol has been great for them since the trade. This is a different team. And then also the, you know, the leap that Pascal Siakam made. He's probably going to win most improved player. And, you know, you, you look at, you know, he's emerged as like a legitimate, maybe not all-star but like just sub all-star you know level guy basically that you know as a late first round pick that they had like they're they're just again they're just kind of just like denver where there's so much much stuff that has gone right for them this year i mean i really like this team and i i I mean i think just the transformative effect of having a guy like Kawhi leonard on the team is something that they didn't have before because as good as demar Derozan is he's not Kawhi leonard he's not a top five guy at both ends of the floor like and just having one of those guys there's only so many of those guys in the league and having one of them is just it's just transformative. I'm excited that you're on the Raptors train. So, do you have them sweeping Philly? Because I think that's a distinct possibility. I don't think it'll be a sweep. I think I think it'll probably go five, six at least. I I mean F- Philly, you can't just completely write off. And I say and I say this as somebody who picked Brooklyn in that series before the playoffs started. I thought I thought that if there was one of the top not in great shape and you kind of seen even in these good games that he's had he's looked like he's you know not moving well but i think that six one jimmy butler game like i i think i think they have enough to get a couple of games that i do pretty easily have uh toronto in the series yeah um I think ultimately, like that bench, man, the Sixers bench is just so bad. And um, part of why they blew up the the Nets and the elimination game was that their starters just got up to this great start and they just buried them. Like when the starters play well and they play a lot of minutes and Embiid's healthy, they're fine. But like, I just, I also think Nick Nurse is a much better coach than Brett Brown. And I think we're going to see just um, Kawhi just thwart this team. And the, I think this is this is one of those theories where like depth takes a pivotal role just because of how deep this Toronto team is with a star versus how thin Philadelphia is with a couple stars. It's, it should be interesting to see how that dichotomy works, but I'm leaning towards uh, the Raptors just bearing them. And uh, I think they're going to sweep them. That's bold, but okay. I'm all in the Raptors. Haven't won four straight in, I believe playoff history. You know, it's the first time they won four straight games in the playoffs. It's time to jump on the uh, Toronto bandwagon, Sean. Join me in uh, Toronto heaven. Um, last things we'll get we'll get through this pretty quickly. Um, Bucks Celtics, how does it go? I tend to kind of lean towards Milwaukee in this series. This this is one of those ones. I don't think any of these outcomes are going to surprise me. If you tell me that you know Kyrie and Horford go nuts, or you know Kyrie goes nuts and Horford is able to play. Uh, Brooke Lopez basically off the floor. Uh, I, you know, I, you, you could talk me into that. I think I, I could definitely see that, uh, that happening, but I also, I mean, this Milwaukee team is so talented. It also, you know, it sounds like they're going to get Malcolm Brogdon back at some point during the series, maybe not for game one, but it sounds like he's going to be back. So defensive end. It doesn't, I mean, it, you, you've seen these videos of, you know, maybe him running on a treadmill 
uh, at practice, it seems like he's getting closer, but I'm still not expecting them to get a whole lot out of him if he even plays at all in this series. So, uh, you know, we'll see, you know, we'll see what, uh, you know, what that situation is like. I would lean towards Milwaukee. I think they're the, they're the better team. They've been the better team all year, but you know, you can't discount, you know, the, the possibility that, you know, Kyrie just goes nuts and, you know, the Celtics have all this depth and they've, you know, been there before with this group in terms of, you know, getting to the conference finals the last two years in a row. And, you know, Jason Tatum has been awesome in the playoffs. I could see this one being a toss up. Okay. I have bucks and I think it's going to go probably six or seven, but, um, should be interesting. Um, the jazz, who is the, the guard who's next to Donovan Mitchell next year? Is it Rubio or is it somebody else? I mean, it's going to depend probably on how much money Rubio wants. I, I, I don't, I don't know how, how much they love, uh, the idea of bringing him back at big money. I know they went pretty hard at trying to get Mike Conley, uh, at the deadline. Maybe they revisit that, but yeah. uh, I, I don't, I, like I don't know. Yeah. I mean, That's I think I that would have yeah, I mean, that would, that would have been a pretty good fit for him. Uh, that, you know, I, I think he'd be a great guy to have next to Donovan Mitchell. You know, he's a good defender. He's pretty steady. He's reliable. Like I, that, that's, that's a guy I think if they, if they could get him and I'm sure they will revisit that, uh, in the off season when it comes to the trade talks, you know, that, that would be the guy that comes to mind. Okay. Last thing. And then we'll go. Um, are you buying the Rockets over the Warriors chatter? I've heard some people this week already proclaim that the Rockets over the Warriors is their pick. Um, the Warriors are not winning the NBA Finals this year, folks. But they're also not losing to this Houston team. That's not ha- the Warriors are not going down in round two. I picked Houston to win the title last year, mm-hmm. and I had been saying that they were since December. And then obviously, I kind of got burned by that in the uh, last in, in Game Seven. I still lean towards Golden State. I still, I still think Golden State. You know, they're 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 too talented. They're too, you know, they they still. I I, th- I I think there's a possibility that they lose in the finals, whether it's to you know Toronto or Milwaukee or whoever comes out of the of the East. But and I mean I, I don't think it's like outside of the realm of possibility that Houston uh, is able to beat them because they almost did last year. And you know this Houston team is basically just as good in terms in terms of what they have on the floor right now. They're just as good as they were last year. You know by this time of year. But I don't know. I I. Until somebody actually beats the Warriors in a seven-game series, I'm not going to be the one that comes out and picks that it happens. Well, that's what I'm here for, Sean, because um, the Warriors will be losing the NBA Finals to the uh, Toronto Raptors. All right. You heard it here first. Yes, you heard it here first in the podcast. Sean, is there anything uh, that we need to read from you at Bleacher Report this week or any but any uh, anywhere else? Well, I covered a game yesterday that was kind of eventful. I right. got a got I've got a column from that. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to kind of stay on this series as it uh unfolds uh and you know, whatever whatever their next series is, whether you know whether they play Denver or San Antonio, I'm going to be there. I'm going to have stuff from that whichever one of those series it is, but uh that's just kind of what you have, you know, com- coming up for me. You know, I've got, I've got, I've got a few things in the works, so, you know, just keep an eye out. Follow me on Twitter. I'll, anytime I write something, I'll tweet it out from there. All right, Sean, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much, and uh, enjoy the rest of the playoffs. Yeah, good to talk to you, man. All right, we're back on the Chase Simmons podcast, and I am now joined by a first-time guest who is being forced to tweet tonight because Blake Griffin has no respect for his (laughs) post-work hours it's James Edwards the third of the Athletic Detroit. James, good evening. How are you? I'm doing well, Chase. I appreciate you having me on, man. 
I'm glad we're able to talk, man. You're someone I've been reading all season. You're someone I've had on the peripheral where I'm like, I, I got to get this guy in the podcast. So I'm glad we're able to do this. You have a very good name where it's like, it's not James Ennis III, who's a very bad basketball player. It's a, uh, <laughs> it's a good writer. So you don't, um, you're better than James Ennis is what I'm saying. Well, I appreciate it. Did you see the, uh, I, I re-posted it yesterday, but I don't know if you saw it when the Sixers, I can't, they signed James Ennis. I can't remember right yes. now. I haven't eaten. Yeah. They accidentally tagged me in the welcome James Ennis <laughs> tweet. It says, welcome James L. Edwards III. I tweeted it uh, last night as he scored a layup as Philly ran Brooklyn out of the house. And yeah, it was, mm-hmm. it was a high point in my life for sure to get that, to see that tweet pop up from the Sixers. <laughs> I mean, I'm 93% certain you would be better on the Sixers team in the James Ennis role than he actually is. I can Remember when he was three. the Trevor Ariza replacement? That uh, that happened last summer. Where it's like, yeah, oh. Trevor Ariza can move on, but we'll just sign James Ennis. Oh, I covered James Ennis last year. He played in Detroit. Um, oh, my God. Where has he not played? Yeah, he got, he came at the deadline right after Blake did. They traded... So in the Blake trade, they got Blake Griffin, Willie Reed, and Bryce Johnson. And I want to say a week or two later, they trade right at the deadline. They tra- I think it was Bryce Johnson in the second round pick for James Ennis. Um, huh. Yeah, and then it's, I watched him, and I don't know if he was hurt, if he's out of shape, but just watching <laughs> him run, like watching him run, hurt me. Like it hurt to watch him. Every and then he gets becomes a free agent. And everyone's like, oh yeah, James Ennis will just fill Trevor Reese. I'm like. I could tell you guys what's about to happen, but I really don't feel like wasting the energy having to watch James Ennis for the last couple months. I mean, he's not a bad basketball player, but he's like... He's, he's a bad professional uh, basketball player. He doesn't do anything well. He just looks athletic, and it's just one of those where you're like, he should be better. Like, he yeah. should be able to do more stuff. He, yeah, I agree. And he didn't even look athletic in Detroit. Like, that was kind of the thing. Like, oh, he can hit the... The open three, and he, he's rangy. He, he can jump. I was like, oh, he's rangy. He can't jump, and he's not hitting any shots. But he was a uh, – I thought it was disrespectful to Trevor Reason when people were saying that. I was like, I don't know. I know you guys don't watch Detroit, uh, but I can tell you right now, James Ennis is not going to be Trevor Ariza. I'd love to get Stan Van Gundy's thoughts on uh, whether or not James Ennis did enough to keep his job in Detroit. Something tells me uh, the answer to that would be no. Um the answer did was Blake no. Griffin, <laughs> the answer was no. Um, <laughs> did Blake Griffin shake your hand at that press conference yesterday? Yeah, I'm the one. Uh, where was I in that? I was actually very surprised that, like, I woke up from a nap and, like, saw Bleach Reports. I didn't, I had no, in the moment, I like, had no idea that people would even, like, that's not an uncommon thing. Um I guess it's probably the first time it got caught on camera. But I was at the – right when he gets in front of the camera, he looks and I think somebody says something to him, like a local TV news camera guy. And you'll see me and him exchange a little dap. I have a watch on, blue blue flannel. Um, as soon as you – toward the end of the video, you see somebody kind of in the, in the camera view. That's me. Okay. See, it's interesting that you point out that that's a normal thing. I think the only reason this got picked up is because it was a nice juxtaposition to Russell Westbrook over the last couple days. I think that's all it was, is that, look, look at this Blake guy. He's he's so nice. He's so kind to the media. He's shaking hands with all the Pistons beat writers after the close of the season. Then you have Mr. Next Question. Like, I think that's all it was, is it got blown up because they're like, oh, we can run with this. It's like Blake Griffin being the antithesis of Russell Westbrook. (laughs) 
No, and I and, that, and then it clicked and it made sense. And I don't think I don't know if I haven't seen this like around on social media, so I'm not like saying it was like staged for that specifically. I Blake is genuinely like obviously as most players are like he has his days where he doesn't want to uh, like interact with the media, and then he has his days where he's the best to talk to. Like my experience with Blake is like I couldn't even imagine how good of a like professional he is with the media. I, I don't if that was like staged to combat what everything else is going on, like Blake is a very smart guy. He's even smarter than I thought if that's the case. But I do generally think that was him just telling everybody thank you because he knows the grind that he goes through and we obviously don't play basketball, uh, but we go through a similar grind following this team around for, for six, seven months of the year. Um, and that's Blake's just a nice guy in my experience with him. I've never like he's been a, nothing but a professional and he's, he's as funny as advertised too. Do you have, you, I guess, have you noticed a difference between Blake in 2019 versus Blake um, when he got to the Pistons from uh, the, during the tail end of the San Bengal year? Is, has he matured a lot? Because you had that big piece prior to the season starting with the Blake and science. Um, have you noticed a, a change in Blake Griffin um, since the beginning of last year? Um, like in terms of his personality, no, I think he's, he's always been like, again, a professional to us. Uh, he's always been engaging to us. He's always been available to us. I think the thing that has changed is his, he's more comfortable in his role. He's more comfortable in Detroit. He's more comfortable in Michigan. Um, I think the, his presence rose to the top and now it's unquestioned that he's the leader. Obviously when he comes in, it's a little weird because Andre Drummond has been here his entire career, two time all-star Blake can't just come in and demand things like Blake doesn't even, he's not the last one introduced when they do the starters. It's still Andre. Um, it's a, I, you could just see he's more comfortable in his role and everybody has kind of rallied around him now instead of him trying to play catch up and kind of massage the relationships and, massage his way into the city and i don't know what people think but he definitely i I genuinely believe that he likes not only playing for the pistons and him being a unquestioned leader um and him proving the doubters wrong said he couldn't stay healthy for a full season which is i mean yeah he did get hurt and was untimely but the guy still played 73 or 75 games um and that he couldn't shoot the three ball and he can but I, I generally think he likes living in Michigan. I think he generally likes being part of an organization where he's unquestioned, un, like undoubtedly the man. Do you think he wants Drummond traded? Nah, I don't think he wants Drummond traded. I think he wants to be competitive. I think he wants to yeah. have the front office make the best team, put together the best team as possible. I don't. Do I think he will go in there and demand a Drummond trade? No, not and not at all. Do I think he thinks Drummond is a useful, impactful player? Yes. If Drummond's traded, is he? Are we going to hear Blake's upset with the organization and wants to get dealt? Well, I think it depends on the return they get for Andre Drummond, but I don't. I don't see him doing that either. Um, I, I, I think there are uh, more holes that need to be filled before you get to Andre Drummond. So, what do you think the front office and Dwayne Casey think about the 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 two the two pillars of that front court? Do you think that they're a believer 
that they can coexist long term, or do you think they actually do? Um, that's the reason I asked. If just because Blake is such a smart basketball player, and because he's shooting threes now, because he's expanded his game, being kind of like a a playmaking big, and just all the different stuff that he's able to do. Um, right. It made it made the spacing a little bit better than we originally thought it was going to be. Blake shooting threes is huge for that combination, but I still wonder if that new front office, especially because um, the assistant GM is Sam Hinkie's old right hand guy, and you have Malik Rose in there now, and that's something I want to ask about later. Is I don't think people realize how many cooks are in this kitchen in Detroit at the present time. But um, do you think this group is a believer in those two? Um, long term? Uh, that's a great question. Um, do I think that they are comfortable if push comes to shove and they are rolling out, if they're rolling with Griffin and Drummond until the duration of whoever's contract's up first, which is Drummond's, I think they're fine with it. Like, like you said, Griffin's ability to stretch the floor, Griffin's ability to be a pick-and-roll ball handler with Andre. Andre and Blake haven't been the issue in Detroit. They've their chemistry and their play off each other works fine. It's, I would say it's almost better than Blake and DeAndre because of how Blake has expanded his game. Um, the issue in Detroit is everything else, the perimeter players. They don't really have a guy that can go – or a proven guy that can go get his bucket. Reggie Jackson had his first 82-game season this year. He's been injured the last two years. He started to look a little bit better, a little bit more like the the Reggie Jackson of 2015-16 when he was the best player on the Pistons team that made the playoffs and was swept by the eventual NBA champions. But those injuries, one to the knee, one to the ankle, really kind of took away the athleticism, which made Reggie Jackson Reggie Jackson. And I think if they can, he's an expiring contract uh, now that the season is over. Um, I, I think he's the one that they probably try to move. I think Luke Kennard is a guy that they're going to try to carve out a bigger role for. He had a fantastic second half of the season. He was he was really, really good in the playoffs to the point where Budenholzer was singled him out and game-planned against him in the last two games because he led the Pistons in scoring the first two games. I think they need – I actually wrote about this. It'll be on The Athletic tomorrow, just the evolution of Luke and how it might be time to put the ball in his hands a little bit more. But they do need – they need more perimeter creators. They need more shooters. Um the, the trio of Blake, Reggie, and Andre uh, was fine this year, and they got more games than I think they would expect from those three. But the inconsistencies with the shooters and the lack of shot creation, the lack of size and athleticism on the wings, um, everything you kind of need in M- today's NBA, the Pistons really didn't have. And it was funny to see the juxtaposition between the Bucks and the Pistons because obviously Giannis is a freak, no pun intended, uh, but the Pistons have their own superstar. The big difference was that the Bucks could roll 10 deep with guys that were all just really good, solid basketball players, and the Pistons couldn't keep, can't keep up with that. Yeah. Um, the Luke and Art stuff's interesting because it does seem like he was immediately one of Stan Van Gundy's favorites last year. Like, he played early and often. He was a rookie that Stan clearly liked, and he was a Stan yeah. pick. And then he wasn't even – he didn't start. I feel like his minutes were down significantly. Was he getting DMP CDs at some point this season? Because I feel like he was when I was box score well, reading with Kennard. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, so, yeah, there was one game, and I actually, like, my lead in the story is kind of just like, imagine now playing for the coach in the front office that didn't draft you, and then as soon as you get a chance to prove it to him, you get injured in summer league, which he did. They were going to try to use him at point guard in summer league and see what he could do there in the pick and roll and guarding uh, pick and roll and guarding in the pick and roll. Um, and then the first day, the first practice we get out to Vegas, 
um, we get to the gym and Kennard's walking out of the gym with, with a wrap around his thigh because he hurt his groin and he missed a month and basically was playing catch-up in training camp. He comes back, uh, plays the first two games, struggles. He's not in game shape because of the injury. And then game three, he gets a, C- he gets a uh, DMP CD. Game four, he kind of, I think it's game four or five. He finally finds his rhythm, goes eight or goes four for four from the field in the first half against, I want to say, the Cavaliers. Um, and it looks like he's finally getting into that that his form and fi- and figuring out and getting acclimated with the coaching staff. And then in the second half, he he tears his labrum in his shoulder and misses 16 games. Uh, so injuries really plagued Luke Kennard from summer league to about end of November. Um, and then again, he had to play catch up because he's not in shape. Uh, he's still trying to earn the trust of a coaching staff in front office that didn't trust him. And then around the trade deadline, leading up to that, a few games after he returned from the shoulder injury, he scored 27 in Philly. And it's like, okay, Luke's starting to get back to where he showed promise last year. A little bit up and down play, and then the trade deadline comes. They ship out Reggie Bullock and Stanley Johnson, and Luke's role increased. And from the second half of the season, from February 8th to the end of the regular season, he averaged 12 points a game. Um Shot 43% from the field, which was second only to Blake Griffin when you look at guys who played in 20 games during that span. And he shot over 45% from three, which was led the team during that span. Um, I, I just truly think at a point the Pistons got to find out what they have in Kennard. I think they he went from a question mark to an exclamation point in regards that you know at least he'll be a solid rotation guy. Now you got to find out if he can be more than that because there are nights where he looks like he could be a player in this league. Um, and by player, I mean, like, I, he doesn't play like Gordon Hayward, but I just wouldn't be surprised if he's a, one day he's as, as impactful as Gordon, as Gordon Hayward was in Utah or um, kind of Goran Dragic when Goran Dragic was at his best. You kind of, he's, I think he plays more like Goran Dragic um, than a lot of the guys he gets compared to. I, I, he's more of a facilitator and a creator to me. And that's huge for them because, like you said, like their best players are their two bigs, and Blake turned into more of a playmaker. But you still don't want him bringing the ball up as much as he does. Probably you like that difference where it's like if Blake does get the rebound, you know he can push and do stuff, uh-huh. which is huge. But like you still want variety and you want someone who can move the ball around. He kind of reminds me of Tyler Johnson, uh, maybe better. Um, I don't know if he has Goran Dragic upside, but I think um in terms of what kind of i think he's like a third guard who can do a bunch of different stuff maybe fred van fleet types where it's just they know exactly what their role is they can play make they can do stuff but i'm not sure he's one of my closing five in a big playoff game i'm, I'm not sure i'm i'm there i think it, it the jury's still out because he's still super young and he just got healthy but um the canard stuff's interesting do you think reggie jackson is the point guard for this team starting next season we were asking ourselves that uh us being the media contingent uh, recently. And, I mean, the Pistons have no cap space. Um, and as you know, expiring contracts are have turned into an asset in the NBA. And he's not going to be part of their future plan. So I, my gut tells me, yes, they'll trade him. What they'll get back, I don't know. And if they'll have to give up one of the, an asset, which they don't have many of, is it worth it? Would you rather just ride out and kind of ride out with the, what the previous regime did and, and not make too many stakes, mistakes uh, trying to rectify that? I, I, my gut, though, does tell me that he will be traded uh, sometime this offseason. 
Yeah, I don't know what it is. I, I it seems like whichever team doesn't do the terror's ear trade, they're like, all right. I guess we'll call about Reggie Jackson. I guess we'll figure it out. Like you wait for James Jones to pick up the phone. You wait for somebody like uh, yeah, that I think to call. Yeah, Phoenix is a good spot. Yeah, I, I just agree. I don't Phoenix. know. Yeah, I and they have some pieces that um, this Pistons team should be interested in, like kind of doing the revitalization, like the D'Angelo Russell types, where it's you look at all their failed lottery picks. I mean, they the Suns have a big decision with Josh Jackson this summer, um, yep. and. You have Dragon Ben there. You have just these different young players they've all missed on, and and they fucked up themselves. Like it's it's on them the way that's all just happened. And I encourage everybody to read Kevin Arnovitz's piece in ESPN on uh, the Phoenix Suns culture under Robert Sarver. But um, for sure, a lot of lot going on there. But it's uh, it I don't know. I think it should be interesting. And I think that should be priority number one. Is like how do we find that next league guard how do we replace reggie who can we bring in that makes sense and i mean 45 percent of the league is available this summer and i think they've showed that this front office is different um that's what i want to ask you next is like this front office like ed stefanski is there you have uh, i'm blanking on the name the the guy who came over from philadelphia he was part of the same hinky regime he runs the analytics department yes oh no malik is one of them the other one yes so they have Malik Rose that they brought in from the Hawks, and yeah. then they have Gupta, and then they have Stefanski, and then you have and Dwayne Casey. How does this? How does this work? Who is the lead decision maker? Who is really running this show? Is it Gores? Who is it? It's 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 Arn Tellum. It's Stefanski. Um, it's Stefanski has a fancy title as senior advisor, but he's essentially the general manager. Um, and Arn Tellum is the vice president vice chairman of the Pistons, but he, uh, as people are familiar with the name, obviously a uh, longtime successful and former agent. Um, he's been around the franchise for many, for, for many years. Um, he is also part of the decision-making brass. So him and Ed primarily are the brains, um, or I shouldn't say the brains. Well, they are the brains as well as kind of the front, the front runners. Uh, Malik Rose is considered the assistant GM. Pat Garrity is the associate GM. And then Sasha Gupta and uh, Sammy Gelfan, who is Sammy does came over from the Warriors, does the coaching analytics, and, and Sasha does like the front office analytics. So they got a lot of guys. I forgot Garrity was still in there because he was in the previous regime. Like some guys yep. stayed from the SVG stuff, some didn't. Bowers gone. Like I, it's it's all very strange to me. Yeah, there was some to kind of help with the was a guy that Stan and as well as Andrew Loomis, who was also from the previous regime. Um, they brought in some, they kept some guys that could help with the transition and some guys that they liked. And then also they, they brought in their new guys. And I think that's kind of just the new wave of the NBA. These, these weird front offices where you're seeing different titles and a bunch of, like you said, cooks in the kitchen. Um, but that's kind of what you have to do with all the analytics and personal relationships that come with getting guys and, and making trades. I did, I just think it's a smart way to go. And it's part of the, in my opinion, like the, the way that basketball is going, you have to have a, a bunch of bright minds in one room uh, to run an organization nowadays. Yeah, I just wouldn't let uh, Ed Stefanski be the one who's the final signal caller there. Um, I would uh, I would, I would, would look to somebody else. Um, so go far, to Memphis, uh, Philadelphia, and just uh, hard pass. And his son, not a great offensive coordinator so far in Minnesota. I don't know. I don't trust the Stefanskis at all. <laughs> he's, I mean, so far he's he's made 
good moves. Um, I mean, trading Reggie Bullock, who obviously was important for the Pistons, but he was become he's a free agent this offseason. He turned that into a second round pick and, and Spee Mahailuk, who I know a lot of people don't know much about Spee because uh, he didn't play much with the Lakers. And I mean, he was at Kansas, so you probably saw him there. I think that kid's going to be a player. Like I get to see him every day. Um, he's six foot eight, has handle. Uh, his shooting is what he's known for, but he's. I wouldn't be surprised if he has a bigger role with this team next year. I thought that was a good trade, um, especially now that I getting to see Spee behind closed doors. I, I think he's going to be a player. Um, and then what was the other trade that they did at the? Oh, getting Wayne Ellington. Uh, him and I were able to get Wayne Ellington at, in the buyout market. Um, and then the other trade, trading Stanley Johnson for Don Maker, who Don obviously is not a finished product, but Stanley Johnson was a lottery pick from the old regime that had just kind of run his course with the organization. Nothing had really improved with his game. Um, so they were able to get a guy who has another year. They have another year of team control is athletic, long, um, something they were without and a guy that's still a ball of clay that they can mold. So I've Ed so far is really not missed out. Um, they haven't made many moves, but he has a good track record so far. What's the biggest difference between Dwayne Casey and Stan Van Gundy? Um, I hate to call coaches players coaches because I think it's it's not insulting, um, and I do think it is important to be it's important to kind of have that title in today's NBA. But I think just the players, Stan. Obviously, it's a little different scenario because Stan was there for a while. So obviously, his voice, his uh, his presence weighs on guys at a point, especially by the time he left. And Dwayne's new and fresh, but I think Dwayne empowers not only the players to play free, he doesn't really overcrowd and and watch and like just very very just what's the word I'm looking for. Um, He's more free in the way he lets the team play, and he's more free in the way that he lets his assistant coaches uh, work within the confines of what he wants to get done. Like, we'll get in the gym, and he's kind of just watching at half court while his assistant is over there with Blake, another assistant's over there with Luke, another one's with Reggie Jackson. It's like, it's a very, it's, a, it's an environment that's open. Um, he's open for dialogue. I think he's, he's good at taking suggestions, uh, which I don't know if that was the case, I understand. I'm not 100% sure, but it seemed like. Stan was very firm in what he wanted to do and, and his thoughts. And it seems like Dwayne's a little bit more open to ideas. Um, as you can tell from the way he transformed the Toronto Raptors um, in his last year and a half there. Uh, and I think players enjoy that. I think they like that atmosphere of being able to all have a say in what's going on. And the assistants are able to kind of give input. And he just is the ringleader of it all. It, it, it seems like the environment, um, more so than anything, is, is a little bit different. Last thing, and then we'll go. What should we expect out of this Pistons team this summer? Do they make some? Do they swing for the fences? Like you said, they don't have much cap space. Do they make a big trade? Do they try and figure out what they can do to move out of the bottom half of that Eastern Conference playoff bracket? What, do they just what 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 can they do? And what do you think? What we've seen, and especially with their midseason trades, what do you think that they're going to target? What do you think they're going to focus on this summer and improving? And is there a specific name we should look out for? I think they do revisit the Mike Conley trade, um, mm, which was okay. floating around, around the deadline. Uh, and from what I was told, it could have been done, but the Grizzlies wanted a first and Luke, 
as well as matching contracts. And the Pistons weren't interested in giving up Luke, and I wouldn't have done a first-time Luke for Mike Conley, personally. I wonder now if Memphis, since it wants to, uh, from what I read, they still want to win. I don't know if that's just smoke and mirrors, but I wonder now if you can revisit that, maybe just trade your 15th pick and matching salaries to get Mike Conley. Um, I, I would give up the 15th pick if I'm the Pistons and the owner wants to win and you have a window with Blake Griffin uh, who has yep. up to three more years left. You go for Mike Conley, um, in my opinion. If, based on what I know the ownership want in the front office want to do, uh, do I think that they should blow it up and start fresh? I mean, that's probably their more clear path to an NBA championship, sure. But you just can't. Yeah, like there's just, just too yeah. much on the books. There's too many guys. That, that would be, especially when you just moved into the new arena downtown, like you moved out of the palace. Yeah. Like you're exactly. trying to sell tickets. Exactly. So I think what I think will happen is they're going to do everything in their power to put the most competitive team on the floor in Blake's window. And if things aren't looking more promising and maybe they're still middling by the time that's done, then I think the rebuild comes. Uh, it has to come because that's the only thing they haven't tried this 10 years worth of mediocrity is rebuilding. Uh, but yeah, I think they, I think they look, they try to continue to get shooting uh, because they had inconsistent shooters. And in Dwayne Casey's offense, shooting is key. I think they try to add length and athleticism uh, because that was not really part of the roster this year. And uh, like names, like I wonder if they go after a Seth Curry. Um, I wonder if they go after uh, maybe bring Reggie Bullock back. Uh, those type of guys, guys that you can get that are talented that come at a low cost because obviously can they move enough pieces to like really go after like a D Russell? Like that would be fascinating to me if they like try and jump into that world. Like who could they talk into? Cause they're not getting the big name for agents. They're not getting no. meetings with clay Thompson. That's not happening. But like, is there someone else like on that radar that they could just get a meeting with? Um, you mean like free agent wise? Yeah, like, there's I mean, no one who really jumps out to me outside of him. I think they could get a meeting with Kemba. Um, uh, him and Andre Drummond are close. Kemba's good. That's a good idea. Oh, my God. I forgot about Kemba. Yeah, him and Andre are really close uh, to the huh. point where, I like, I, Andre's mom has told me that they, those years they got became really close. Obviously, both played in Connecticut, but when the Hornets were in Detroit a few weeks ago, after the game, before – Kemba even went to the back to the locker room. He went and talked, hugged and talked with Andre's mom. They're that close. Um, huh. And then Blake and Kemba are also Team Jordan. So I'm sure there's a relationship there as well. Interesting. Again, they'd have to clear cap space to make it happen. Tom Gorris said he's willing to go into the luxury tax, so maybe you don't have to clear cap space, but you're not going to have Reggie Jackson on the team if you're bringing in Kemba Walker. Uh, yeah. I just uh, obviously Kemba has better options he can choose from, and that's Detroit's biggest problem. Whether you look at free agency or trades, because they don't really have a trade package to put together that would be the best offer for somebody like Bradley Beal, or somebody like D'Angelo Russell, or just names like that. They don't the Pistons don't have a a concrete package because they've drafted so poorly aside from Kennard over the last few years. Um, but yeah, I think Kemba Kemba. I could tell you in Detroit. Kemba's the dream. People want Kemba. Interesting. More than Conley. Oh, yeah. More than Conley. Because there's no injury so history there. have Conley. Well, the injury history scares the people here who already have to walk on eggshells with Blake. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. 
Um, but Blake's awesome, and he had a great year, and uh, love- it made me happy. Like I, I love Blake. Is he the number one selling jersey in Detroit? Oh, I'm sure. I haven't like seen the okay. numbers, but he, I look around and he is. And uh, yeah, man, it's funny when you like once I've always watched Blake from afar. Um, obviously, I actually grew up a Clippers fan because I was a huge Sean Livingston fan. So I always kept okay. tabs on on the Clippers, and it didn't really click until Blake got to Detroit. But you know, kind of that whole mantra that Detroit runs with, like the gritty, the tough, all that stuff. It's like. Blake really was suited to play for the Pistons once you saw him in the jersey and you kind of got the L.A. Like, oh, he's from Oklahoma. He's not from L.A. You get the Hollywood stars out of here. And it's like, oh, Blake is literally the exact type of player that this fan base adores, has adored for 30 years now. Um, so they, they really embrace him. Okay. James, this was great. I appreciate you taking the time tonight, man. No, I really appreciate you having me on, man. This was fun. All right. Um, is there anything we need to look out for you this week? Um, the upcoming uh, special on uh, Blake Griffin getting knee surgery right after the season ended and he was playing through some knee stuff. Is there anything we need to look out for on that front or just in general on the athletic.com? Uh, yeah, I'm not going to dive too much into the Blake stuff. That's a, that's a, uh, a tweet is uh, serviceable for that. But yeah, tomorrow i got a piece. <laughs> tomorrow would be Thursday. Uh, the evolution of Luke Kennard will come out. Um, kind of encapsulating his year and how I think it's important that the Pistons at least find out how good he can be because he's shown flashes. I know you said Fred Van Vliet. I think he's he could be better than Fred. I don't know if he'll have the uh, resume of Goran Dragic, but I just think he's but he's kind of cut more from that cloth as a, a guy you put in the pick and roll and, and he can be dangerous. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a big one. And then take some time off, sprinkle in some stories here and there, free agency, look ahead, draft, look ahead, the normal offseason stuff. All right, sounds good. James, thank you so much. Let's talk again soon. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple Podcast listener, Remember, you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com, where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Uh, thank you for your support, and we'll be back another episode very soon. Thanks, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Finally, a bed that senses snoring and automatically responds. Meet the Ergo Smart Base from Tempur-Pedic, our first system that detects snoring then automatically adjusts by raising the bed. And now, during the Tempur-Pedic Summer of Sleep, all Tempur-Pedic mattresses are on sale with savings up to $500 on adjustable sets. Get your best sleep all night, every night. Learn more at TempurPedic.com.